good friend of mine. Hello and welcome to the Husband World Senior Games Active Life. My name is Kyle Case and I'll be your host on this amazing journey as we attempt to help you get the most out of your life. Joining me in the studio today is my co-pilot, Jeff Harding. Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm doing festive today. How are you doing, You're Kyle? You're doing festive. Well, it is that season. It is that season, yes. Yeah, so yeah. I'm doing festive. Well, I'm glad. And how are you doing? Festive. I'm, I'm awesome. I'm doing really great, good. Great. Today, Jeff, we're going to talk about some pretty important stuff. Yes, we are. We always do. Well, that's the purpose of the show. Is yeah. to, it's important stuff. Today is no exception. Today we're going to talk about some important stuff. So do you, you know what osteoporosis is? Yes. Yeah, you're, you're aware of it. You've heard of it. It's a medical condition in which the bones become brittle and fragile from loss of tissue. It usually results because of hormonal changes or uh-huh. some kind of a deficiency, usually right. in calcium or vitamin D. But did you know, Jeff, I think this will shock you, that 44 million Americans suffer from osteoporosis or some kind of lone low bone mass. Actually, that's forty four million. That seems a little low to me. I thought it would be higher. As really, because as they age, it seems more prevalent. So I thought it might be even a little bit higher. Wow. Well, so you you are surprised in one way. I was surprised in the other way. Yeah. Forty four million is a lot of people. It is. That's a lot of bodies. Yeah. No pun intended. <laughs> anyway, here's a couple of things to think about when it comes to osteo- osteoporosis. Okay. okay. Number one, bad news for the ladies. Mostly, yeah. Yeah. Simply being genetically female means that you're at a greater risk for developing osteoporosis. A woman's biological makeup, which often includes smaller, thinner bones than a man, means that she's more at risk for developing bone loss that can lead to osteoporosis. In terms of numbers, they estimate that about 80% of the patients with osteoporosis are women. So of the 44 million Americans that are suffering from some form of low bone mass, about eighty percent of them are women. Wow, that's kind of a that really is not very of, fun. The odds it? are stacked against them a little bit. Isn't when it? it causes you to be concerned about your mother, your grandmother, your daughters, yeah, absolutely, or your or yourself if you happen to be a woman. Well, that's true. <laughs> so, uh, since, since I'm not, that's what I was referring yeah. to. Others, but yes, it would make me worry about myself if I were yeah, a woman. Yeah, so like I said, kind of some bad bad news there for the ladies. Yes. Uh, number two, one of the biggest risk factors for developing osteoporosis is unfortunately age. Yeah. And you referred to that earlier, right. Jeff. Although patients 50 and older are considered most at risk for developing the condition, women who are 65 and older and men who are 70 and older should be screened regularly as they are at a heightened risk for having undiagnosed osteoporosis. And then, unfortunately, they could sustain greater injuries from a fall. Yeah, so that's worth true. looking into. Or a bump or a bruise or anything. I mean, being yeah. or anything. Yeah, right. it, could, it can be a problem. Number three, an early and unfortunately a very painful symptom of osteoporosis, especially for seniors, are fractures. Mm-hmm. So due to the gradual weakening of the bones, a simple fall or a bump can lead to a broken wrist, a broken femur, fingers, the spine. We hear about hips all the time. Right. So there's some kind of some risk factors that we need to be aware of. But there are a couple of things that we can do uh, that I want to just touch on quickly. Number one is increase the calcium. Right. So low levels of calcium are also linked to the development of osteoporosis. While calcium on its own can't prevent osteoporosis, the bone-replenishing mineral offers a strong safeguard for already healthy bones, and then it can also lessen the loss of density that naturally occurs from aging. So calcium is important. That's why a multivitamin that includes calcium is so strongly recommended for, especially as you for age. the women as they yeah. age. Uh, for everybody's age, but especially women, right? Number two, increase the vitamin D. 
Wow. Which we talk about and know about, right? Yeah. Low vitamin D uh, is one of the culprits for osteoporosis. The sun can be dangerous in excessive amounts, but it's also incredibly important to our bodies because it's one of the best ways to get vitamin D, which aids our bodies in the absorption of calcium, which we just talked about. Low levels of vitamin D can lead to weaker bones and development of osteoporosis. There are also, of course, supplements and foods enriched with vitamin D, which can help protect our bones in the absence of regular sunshine. And there's vitamin D milk that has calcium and vitamin D in it you're together. Getting the, you're getting the double Two whammy for one. there, right? right. So just really quickly to wrap up a, a couple more things. Participate in weight-bearing exercises. We keep learning more and more about the importance of resistance training or weight-bearing exercises. Here's one more reason. Weight-bearing exercises can keep the bones strong and help fight off the effects of osteoporosis. So you shouldn't complain about having to carry the kids or grandkids or great-grandkids around because or it's weight-bearing. Or the barbells or the dumbbells or whatever That's it is. That's not to talk about your husband. We need to, uh, <laughs> we need to uh, be participating in that resistance training. We, we like do. Like I said, we, we just keep learning more and more about it. Number four is to avoid smoking as well as secondhand smoke. Cigarettes negatively affect the way your body uses vitamin D. And as we just barely said, vitamin D is crucial for the absorption of calcium and the cornerstone of our bone health. Unfortunately, smoking also lowers levels of estrogen, which is a vital component of the bone remodeling process. And the list goes on and on. So right. avoid the smoking if you can, if you can, especially the secondhand smoke if mm -hmm. you don't smoke. And then the last thing that I'll just touch on quickly is avoid overconsumption of alcohol. Research suggests consuming too much alcohol can lead to excess calcium loss and reduce levels of vitamin D, both mm -hmm. things that are important when you're trying to battle osteoporosis right, or keep right. it at bay. Yep. Well, you know, Kyle, we happen to have a physician in the studio. Maybe we should ask his opinion. Why don't we? Let's shift gears just a little bit and introduce our today's guest, Dr. Roger Sidaway. He actually specializes in gastrointestinal health. He's board certified and William Beaumont Army Medical Center gastroenterology fellow. That's a mouthful. That is, uh, that's, that's, but, but that's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. Hard to say, but pretty amazing. He graduated from George Washington University School of Medicine, and we are very happy to have him here with us today. Welcome, Dr. Sidaway. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. So I know bone health isn't necessarily what your specialty is, but from a medical standpoint, anything ring true in what we just talked about or, or out of you line? Said, but as far as gastroenterology is concerned, we have a number of patients at risk for osteoporosis in our practice, and those are patients with inflammatory bowel disease. They seem to be more wow. prone to that, too. Really? Yeah. So, so, there, so there's another connection there, something that you wouldn't normally think about. Well, but the disease itself and sometimes the medications they're treated with can strip them of calcium yeah. and remodeling. And one of those, one of the big reasons for that is uh, the use of steroids like prednisone. The, the article that I read did uh, reference prescription medicines and some of the side effects. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's a consideration that, you know, from an overall health perspective, we just got to be aware of those things, right? Our, as our ulcerative colitis patients get older, we screen them with DEXA scans looking at their, looking for osteoporosis. Yeah. Interesting. That's an interesting connection there. So let's talk a little bit about gastrointestinal health. That is that is your specialty. That's what you That's right. focus on. Why is it so important that we're, I mean, monitoring our health in that area? Well, almost everything you do has some influence either over how you eat or how you digest your food or, or the other way around, how you eat and how your digestion is influences how you feel and 
your I agree with energy that. <laughs> and you're, you're ready to face the day. So, On our way over, Kyle and I were just talking that this is a subject that most people would choose to avoid if they could, but it's something that we really need to put out in the front there and, and talk about this kind of health and, and what's going on in our bodies from the time the food comes in to the time it goes out. We love to talk about the food going in. Oh, yeah. Like we, that, that's something that we all enjoy, right? We love the taste, the texture, the smells, we, that, the whole concept of eating. We love that. That's, that's especially this time of year, this holiday, this holiday time of year. It's the food going out that we don't like to talk about. Or what's going or, on in between. Or the process that happens in the interim, well, right? Well, it's, you know, it's interesting. I think that's changed in the last three or four years with uh, a group of people here in St. George who invented Squatty Potty. And yeah. They've, they've kind of revolutionized <laughs> they've what people will talk about. That's opened true. Opened up the conversation. On the radio, on Shark Tank, <laughs> on television, everything. Well, and, so. you know, we all kind of chuckle because we've all seen the the unicorn ad. The unicorn yeah. ad and, you know, all that is entailed with that. But really, you're right. They really have in a lot of ways revolutionized the conversation. And um, and it's important because, as you can, as you mentioned, Dr. Sidaway, so much of your health is connected to what happens in that digestion process. Oh, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about colorectal cancer. Again, these are topics that no one's comfortable with, generally speaking. But um, it's kind of a big deal. It is. And and things change and things get proposed different uh, every few years. Uh, you know, we've been used to uh, telling people to get screened at the age of 50 for a long time now. Right. American Cancer Society came out earlier in the year and said, uh, gee, maybe 45 is the way to go. <clears throat> I think that has a lot of hurdles, though. The they have to overcome the uh, resistance of the um, insurance companies to cover something like that because you're talking about now doing many more screening exams on thousands of people more to find just a few more cancers. Yeah, and, and more times over a lifetime as well. So there is a financial consideration there. But um, colorectal cancer is is a, a very common kind of cancer. In fact, they say it's the third most common cancer in the United States. Is that is that what your well, research if, tells if you? If you are not a smoker, then lung cancer really isn't in the picture for you. For the most case. Statistic. For the most part, yeah. <clears throat> if you're a woman, number one is going to be breast cancer. Right. That's the one to worry about. But if you're a man or a woman, I'd say probably number two is going to be colorectal cancer. And what we think we know is that you can completely prevent that by being screened and finding out if you're one of those people who grows polyps that are benign, that can be removed and then never turn into colon cancers, or one of the lucky ones who has got an early colon cancer that's discovered, treated surgically and removed and cured. And then you're ready to just go on with your healthy go lifestyle. On with your life. You're listening to the Huntsman World Senior Games Active Life, and we're visiting with Dr. Roger Sidaway. We're talking about gastrointestinal health, specifically colorectal cancer, um, how prevalent it can be and how important it is to get those screenings. So as you said, Dr. Sidaway, the the uh, American Cancer Society is recommending getting screenings earlier. Are you seeing people react to that in your practice? Are you seeing earlier people coming in earlier, or are we still waiting? I think the reason for this has been in the last five or six years, the appearance of people in their 30s with colon cancer for, it just seems way too early. Yeah. Uh, 
and we don't know exactly how to make a, a dent in that statistic because there's always going to be a few outliers there. Uh, similar to there's going to be a few people who don't develop colon cancer until they're 90, but sure. by then we've usually stopped screening people before at, they at 90, get to be right. that age. Yeah. So, so again, the, the recommendation that is being floated out there has always been 50. They're kind of talking about bumping, bumping it up. Always been 50, probably will stay there, I think, for the foreseeable future, but there are some reasons to come in sooner. That would be if you're having symptoms. So you have, uh, say, blood in the toilet that you really can't explain, or maybe you want to explain by saying it's hemorrhoids, but you yeah. don't know. Um, abdominal pain, weight loss that's unexplained, uh, big change in your bowel habits, diarrhea that's unexplained, uh, that's new, not something that you've been doing for 20 years, but yeah. something that's just changed. So all symptoms that we ought to be aware of, and if any of that is happening, then maybe it's Maybe it's worth a trip to the doctor just to see where you're at. Sure. So when, once you let's, – let's just assume that you're going to follow the, the traditional screening method and you go in at, at 50 or 45 depending on what you're subscribing to at that time um, and you get your first one. How often after that should you have screenings? Is it annual? Is it every five years? What, what should people look if, at? If you don't have polyps and you don't come from a family with colon cancer, then it's every 10 years. Okay. And after, uh, say, five years after a colonoscopy, I'll have people resume testing their stools for hidden amounts of blood mm -hmm. with these simple little home tests that you can send back in through the mail. Just to be kind of on the safe side sure. to say, we, we, we're going to let it go now for 10 years. Is that okay? Are we safe with that? Let's, let's just look for some other little hint that maybe we ought to get back sooner. Mm-hmm. So again, something that you need to be aware of and, and thinking about and, and processing. This is an interesting side. When I had my colonoscopy at 50, <clears throat> the, the doctor was so excited to come in and show me the pictures of the inside of my intestine, my, my large colon. And uh, and I wasn't nearly as excited as he was because yeah, it, it was so clean and clear and, <laughs> and, and, and healthy looking, which was great that he was that excited that I was that good. But I was a little groggy, and I tried to bring my wife in and have her get excited, but she didn't either. So, <laughs> Well, maybe he'd had a bad morning and had a number of people that weren't cleaned out. That enough. may have yeah. happened, right? You made his day. Yeah. Well, I was, just, I was glad I could do that. <laughs> well, congratulations, Jeff. You, you made your doctor's day. Well, so we, we've been talking about cancer, and of course, um, boy, that's a scary one. No one likes to, to think about that or talk about that. Talk about the, the potential for treatment and recovery because of screenings that is I'm assuming like every cancer, the earlier you find out the better. What's the, what's the prognosis once diagnosis is made? The prognosis usually comes by way of um, either a polypectomy that's complete, gets every bit of the polyp out and you know that the cancer is just limited to the lining of the colon. Uh, some of those people are in fact cured by the removal of the polyp. Okay. But a number of those people are going to go on to have surgery with removing of just a portion of the colon with what's above it being normal and what's below that being normal, those areas being brought together and the, the cancer being removed as a block. <clears throat> those, those patients have uh, lymph nodes that are sampled and tested. Uh, exploration of the rest of the abdomen is done to see if the tumor could be outside of that. But if it's limited to the lining of the bowel or stage one, 
then those people don't get chemotherapy, they don't get radiation, and they're pretty much done. We just keep doing colonoscopies to make sure nothing else comes back. Just to test and make sure. Well, that's awesome. So I want to jump off of cancer for just a minute. There are a number of other conditions, diseases, concerns in the gastrointestinal tract and how everything works together. We hear a lot these days, and it seems like it's more these days than in the past, about celiac disease. Talk just a little bit about what that is and why you feel like, if you feel like it's more prevalent than it used to be. Celiac disease is, uh, or at least used to go by the uh, term, the scourge of the Irish. It's a disease of northern Europe, especially the Irish. Okay. Uh, The genes are known. You can be tested for it. Uh, If you... If you have the genetic predisposition for it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you will have celiac disease, but people who do have it have damage to their small intestine Mm. from a portion of what they're eating in certain grains, especially wheat, and that is gluten. Right. So you, these days you see more and more in restaurants that they have gluten-free options options on the— on the menu. Um, that's not to say that there aren't people who don't appear to have celiac disease but feel better without eating it because right. those people do exist. But celiac disease causes damage to the small bowel. If you if you look at the small bowel under the microscope and you have um, all these little uh, absorptive feelers that we call villi, when they get damaged and are turned into little stumps, you have essentially turned your small bowel from being 15 feet long into being seven feet long. And if, and if that's from uh, uh, the, the disease destroying your ability to absorb what you eat, then a lot of the food that you eat just kind of sails right through not being... And you don't get the benefits from it. You don't get it. any benefit from it. Yeah. So you can, you can live without a colon. If you, had, if you had to have a surgery that removed every inch of your colon, you wouldn't like it, but you'd live just fine. But you can't live without a small bowel because yeah. the small bowel is where all the absorption of nutrition takes place. So if you've got problems there, then you've got problems. Oh, yeah. yeah. So do, do you feel like we're seeing more and more cases of celiac disease or are we just better at diagnosing it? Well, we're better at diagnosing. It's much easier to diagnose. Where I think we're, at least as a gastroenterologist, I'm asked more often in the last five or six years, to confirm a suspicion of celiac by biopsying the intestine below the stomach to see if it's there. Uh, But we do have other tests that can be done. The blood tests are very good. And some people have put themselves on a gluten-free diet where we really shouldn't see any abnormalities. They shouldn't be having symptoms if they're sticking with the diet. And so what you're left with is doing a genetic test to see what what the genes are that they could demonstrate. If they don't have them, it means they'll never have celiac disease and they don't have it now. So like so many things in health and wellness, uh, it has become and continues to be almost a fad to to remove gluten from your diet. Do you feel like in most cases that's just fine and it's okay follow that path or, was, or are we missing something there? A year ago, there was a very interesting issue of consumer reports that talked about gluten-free and what you're missing by eliminating that completely from your diet. It's not the healthiest diet around. 
So it's, I think it's important to really decide if you have the disease or not before you step into that diet. So independent of what you might read on the internet, maybe gluten-free isn't just the best way to go just because that's, just what, because that's what the good. meme said. You, you, <laughs> uh, uh, same thing could be said for probiotics. Uh, if you want to talk about fads, probiotics are Another the way big to go buzzword, now. Everybody's, right? yeah. everybody's on that now. And you're saying that it might not necessarily be... I don't know what we're treating with all these probiotics. Yeah. I really don't. Interesting. And you, as a gastrointestinal expert, would specifically be looking for a treatment or something that you're you're trying to fix rather than just jumping on a, a dietary bandwagon, obviously. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't think that probiotics are going to hurt people. They're, uh, they're not inexpensive. There's some money to spend there, but... Uh, it, Exactly what people are treating, they often come in. I don't know what they're treating. They don't seem to know either. But it, it was told. But to they them saw it, was, it on the it internet. It's idea. supposed to be good for them. So or they're their friends selling multi-level marketing stuff. <laughs> said, well, you need there's those. A, there's lots of those out there too. And who knows? I, I don't have time to go review everybody and see if what's in these things really is. Well, that's true. A probiotic. Sure. Who does? Sure. Uh, we're running a little shorter on time, but I want a couple cover a couple of other things. Tell us Crohn's disease. What What is it? What are the symptoms? What are we looking at there? Crohn's disease falls into a broad category that we refer to as inflammatory bowel disease. And it simply, ref- it, it means that a portion of the colon, or in the case of Crohn's, usually the small intestine above the colon, okay. is inflamed. And these are people who the, the lining of the bowel looks like they have a terrible sunburn, and in some cases, ulcers. On the, on the inside of on their the inside, intestines, okay. Uh, Crohn's disease is a full-thickness disease. It can be seen by a surgeon who's in there operating for what he thinks is appendicitis. Mm. In fact, that's where Dr. Crohn's came in. He was operating for appendicitis, and when he found people that didn't have it, but had all these horrible symptoms. had all symptoms. these other things just near yeah. the appendix, then he, that's, that's where his... Uh, Description took place. Wow. So do you treat it with medication, with diet? What are you looking at with Crohn's uh, disease? Mainly medication. Uh, if you would have asked me 10 years ago, I wouldn't have had really very good things to say. But every year now, we're getting more and more medication that are more specific for Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. Wow. Well, that was my next question is, is colitis. We've got about a minute and a half. What is it? What are we looking at there? Ulcerative colitis, uh, very similar to Crohn's, only it involves the colon. It may not involve the entire colon, just part of it. Again, it's an inflammatory condition. It's not full thickness. It's just the lining of the bowel. It can be the entire colon, though, and make people just absolutely miserable. They have diarrhea. They have bleeding. They're uncomfortable. Um, They blame it on their food or something they've come in contact with, but uh, it usually has been there for a long time before we see them. I I tell people it's generally a condition of teenagers and young adults, but we do see some Huntsman senior game people sneak in (laughs) at around age 70 or 75 that... And they're suffering from colitis. Well, we've got about 15 seconds left. What is something that you would want people to know as a gastrointestinal doctor? What's something that you would what, what do we need to know? Well, I think that it's, uh, it's important to take control of your, your own health and seek the right doctor, one that you can feel comfortable with, one that 
you trust for whatever reason that they've uh, shown to you that they care about your problem, your overall that health, their, 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 your safety is in, in their in their uh, forefront in their mind. We we do a lot of endoscopic exams, and I'll tell you, people come in. Uh, no matter what they say, uh, a lot of them are very nervous. And yeah. afterwards, they or their family member will say, oh, boy, he was really we nervous coming in for this exam. Yeah. And uh, if they know that they're going to be taken care of and have good anesthesia and be safe, good care. it makes a, it goes a long way. Wonderful. Well, Dr. Sidaway, once again, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for us being today. here. Good to be here. Jeff. Yes. The new year is just around the corner. It is so close. You can almost smell it. A couple of things to be aware of as we move into the new year. First of all, January 1st is when team registration for the Huntsman World Senior Games opens. So if you're interested in being a part of the games and you are on a team, get yourself or get your captain to the website, seniorgames.net, on January 1st and get that team registered. March 1st is when athlete registration opens. So if you want to be a part of the games, and we want you to be a part of we the do. games. We do. Come. Check us out, seniorgames.net once again. The games themselves will run from October 7th through the 19th for the year of 2019. Remember to tune in live next and every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Mountain Time on AM 1450 or FM 93.1 for the Huntsman World Senior Games Active Life. Jeff, our inspirational quote for the day comes from the Bambino himself, Babe Ruth. Yes. It's hard to beat someone who never gives up. That's true. Until next Thursday, stay active. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.